Hi, I'm Charlotte. I'm a performance and lifestyle nutritionist and your host of Death, Taxes and Disappointing Sex, the only three things in life that are guaranteed. I'm going to be taking a candid look at all things nutrition, life, health and wellness. If you're looking for support with your nutrition, all of the links to drop me an email, apply for nutrition coaching or the 10-week fat loss program are in the show notes, along with a load of links to free stuff where you can download free resources, webinars or join the email list for a weekly dose of nutrition wisdom straight to your inbox. Enjoy the podcast and if you want to chat about anything you hear on today's episode or ask a question for a future episode, please drop me a message on Instagram or to my email. I love hearing from you guys, so don't be shy and enjoy the episode. Hey everyone, uh, second live today. What a busy day, um, all within a space of four and a half hours or so. Um, very excited for this one. I will just invite Charlotte to join now. Hello. Hello. How are you? Put my hair up before we started. Not too bad. How are you? Professional. Yeah, I'm all right. Yeah. Have you Best had a good weekend? Awesome. It was not too bad, actually. What should I do? Oh, yeah. I actually did something really exciting that I'm actually, you know, when influencers do the wanky, like, oh my God, I've got something really exciting, but I'm not going to tell you about it. It's like genuinely not allowed to say things about it which is very exciting oh. i thought i was going to get an exclusive no not no. quite unfortunately no. not like as in like non-disclosure agreement fun uh, that's exciting <laughs> it is it's so exciting we'll continue that off camera <laughs> yeah we will um how was yours it was all right thank you nothing too exciting i had a suit fitting for a wedding because we're adults now and that's what you do yeah and then a lovely hike yesterday. Oh, where did you go? Malvern. Oh, very nice. Because nice. mm, you're based yeah. that way, aren't you? Yeah, I'm like an hour away from Worcester, so it was very nice. Are you back up north now? Yeah, so I live in Leeds at the moment, which is oh, okay. um was in was in Loughborough. Moved back like two years ago. Nice. For many reasons. For many reasons, which mm. also not discussable <laughs> <laughs> on the live. Oh, my life. <laughs> You'll write a book about it one day. I will do. One yeah. day. Yeah. Um, one day it'll all, it'll all be okay to speak about, but not right mm, now. Not right now. Let's talk about things we can speak about. Which is nutrition. Woo. Nutrition. Yay. Um, it's weird. So this is my first question, because obviously we have a similar background in terms of nutrition. We do. In that we worked in sport first and qualified. I mean, the fact that we qualified is kind of new in fitness world. The, the fact that we actually have some qualifications. Have qualifications yeah, yeah, it actually is. And experience. I think that's the key thing, is that we both have qualifications and were experienced in other places before we came into, like, private practice. Yeah, I didn't just go, online coach sounds good, and then just decide to start. Yeah, it kind of, I feel like for both of us, it kind of happened a little bit by accident, and it probably wasn't the intended route. But now yeah. it's happening, and it's and it's okay. It is okay, isn't it? It uh, is. It's good. Today was my check-in day. So it's like, yeah. I've been sat on my laptop all day long. <laughs> do you do video checking? Yeah. So um, so for my 10-week people, it's either a, a written one if it's like all quite simple and straightforward or a video if there's something I need to go more in depth with. But for mm -hmm. my one-to-ones, it's pretty much always a video unless, again, it's like they're literally just checking in to be like, no, all fine. See yeah, you next fair. week. Let's, let's do the same thing. And um, yeah. yeah, it's generally it's generally white how about you i'm text actually because a while ago i was like i should do video and i don't mind a video and then i asked all my clients who were like no, can you just do text 
Yeah. Okay. Do you know what? I never asked. I probably should have done. Mm. I mean, they've not complained. That's why I looked at it. Yeah. So you're fine. I, I write better than I speak, I think, generally. Yeah, I have so, days like that. Today was one mm. of those days where I did a few more written than I probably did video. Mm. Um, I have days where, like, my clients will be watching this being like, yep, yeah, exactly. <laughs> they'll, be, they'll be like, she can't, I can't string sentences together some days. Or I'm like, I'm, I'll write notes beforehand. So I'll be reading my notes and I'll just like start in the middle of another sentence and then jump back to a different sentence. And then like, I get lost because then my brain goes off in, in different directions. Mm. So I um, I do it in podcasts as well. Like, if yeah. you listen to podcasts where I'm on them, I'll just suddenly just like tail off and then go, what was the question? Because I've just like <laughs> gone somewhere completely different in my brain. No, I do that. I mean, but yeah. At least you can write, which again is new in the fitness industry. It is. You're one of the few nutrition and fitness emails that I actually follow. I follow yours as well. So yeah. I think that's kind of how, I don't know how we got to know each other. Because we didn't go to uni together. No, I think you were the year after me, Either the year before or a year after, I can't remember. I graduated in 2018. Yeah, year after. Year after. Yeah. Um, so we didn't, meet, we didn't meet at uni. No. I think you knew we kind of like bumped into each other on social media and yeah. i was like oh i'm gonna follow your emails and your emails are very good thank you and very now well. that I know it, you follow mine i can't copy anything that's in yours anymore oh you can that's that's what this game is just copying each other anyway yeah it's um, funny, isn't it? everyone copies james smith and then and then everyone copies each other yeah pretty much but i mean you don't have to because you can you don't have to copy him which you cannot be a wanker if you don't want i mean it's up, it's up to everyone else but you don't have to be yeah. um my first question for you was, do you feel like you're part of the fitness industry? No. I'm not, in all honesty, I really don't. Yeah. Um, I think I first noticed it. I went to IFS last year. Oh, yeah. It was, it was in London. So I was meant to go the year before um, when it was in Barcelona or the year before that, whatever mm. the first year was when it was in yeah. Barcelona. And I actually ended up spending the week in hospital with a sepsis instead, which was great mm. fun, mm. as you do. So I ended up not being able to go. So I went last year when it was in London. And it was just, ugh. I've always noticed it, like body power and um, like IFS really kind of hit it home. I was like, this is, these are more my people, but also like, I feel very separate from it. And I think that's probably due to a lot of the practices of the fitness industry. It's still mm. very, um, write people a plan, write them a meal plan, give them some calories and send them on their way. Like, how do yeah. you think about it? No, I don't. And I often feel like the same as you in that I don't feel like part of the fitness industry which is mm -hmm. weird because I often comment on it but then don't feel part of it yeah um, I think because yeah. I, th I feel like we have a very similar ethos in terms mm. of nutrition um and I think yeah and I think it's very different it's very removed like I don't know if you've ever read any watched any of like fit pro um mentor type content and mm. I, I can't relate to it i no. really relate to it and and a lot of it is 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 this like write people a plan sell them it before you've written it um t t charge them three thousand pound a month and, and give them a home workout plan and and mm. some meal plans that you buy from somebody else and i just can't get on board with it i think the, the fitness industry lacks values a little bit yeah and i think my issue is that i don't see that because social media is a echo chamber and mine is very carefully curated so that I don't yeah. see that and it's only when you go to events like that which I've not really been to where you're like oh god yeah so I only ever go to like our our nutrition ones so mm -hmm. SNL type ones and 
all you see there are people who are working in elite sport or people who work for themselves who have like a massive crisis of confidence like oh i don't know if i can tell this person what to do or charge that much and you get the fitness industry like i charge five grand just to tell them to be more disciplined yeah five grand a month. harder that'll be yeah £2, please. yeah yeah so yeah and it 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 freaks me out a bit when you hear these mentors being like oh just tell people just just put your prices up and i'm like but you can't and I'm like, how can I bring my prices down? And I'm like, I, I had this crisis the other day and I was like, I should cut my prices. And I was like, no, Charlotte, you shouldn't cut your prices. And I was like, but I should cut my prices. Mm. And yeah, there's a lot of people. And the people that, ugh, I'm the same. Like I've changed my echo chamber over time so that it's more, it's less Gymshark girls and bikini competitors, which is what, if you type in like hashtag fitness on Instagram, that's exactly what you'll get. Mm. Girls in matching Gymshark outfits, mostly white, mostly thin. Um, mostly eating lots of things with protein powder in and you'll get bikini competitors and that's kind of what people assume the fitness industry is and I don't think I think there's this very undiscovered branch which is kind of being populated by people like me and you um Amelia Emma Story Gordon her their mm. teams there's there's this new branch that's coming in yeah. obviously because we're in their echo chamber we see it but there's a lot of people who don't realize that that's an option when it comes to fitness and nutrition it doesn't yeah. have to be that and then if you go even further than that i'm kind of in the echo chamber of running as well so there's like this yeah, whole running echo chamber as well which other people won't see mm. yeah because i mean cause you've competed before haven't you in competed twice in really? two or three times maybe three times i competed three times in 2007 mm. 2016 2017 mm -hmm. um did it basically did a season and mm. then kind of went it was a massive anticlimax, and I don't know how people come off stage being like, "Oh, it was such a buzz," because I was I was there. I was like, "I can out deadlift all of you," and yeah, <laughs> I did not win this, and I don't understand. It's subjective, so it's yeah. really, it's really frustrating um, mm. to go into a subjective sport, a sport, a subjective mm. competition, because it's that's basically what it is—a beauty pageant yeah. where you've not eaten for a very long time. Um, and for them to go, your fake tan wasn't right. Did, did you use an oil-based moisturiser? <laughs> this was genuinely a question I got from a judge. They went, did you use an oil-based moisturiser before you you came on? And I was like, a what? I was like, I didn't know there was, there was various... Maybe. Yeah. Probably, I don't know. <laughs> but... I think the irony of fitness being bikini and physique stuff is fitness the definition of fitness is the ability to meet the demands of a given task mm -hmm. which at bikini and physique by the time you get on stage not a lot you can meet the demands I, of you can't do a whole lot i no. could do a lot no. i have no idea how i got through my degree because i was no. while i was at uni as well i was like yeah thank god i'm like quite naturally smart because otherwise i think i'd have massively struggled mm. Yeah, like meet the demands of staying warm or sleeping or you're just like, no, I can't. <laughs> <laughs> of pooing, can't do yeah. it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I wouldn't, I wouldn't do it again. I think yeah. a lot of people get like itchy feet. Um, and I first found when I stopped doing it, I got like itchy feet, but it wasn't for competing. It was for doing something yeah. and for enjoying something. And that's kind of how I fell back into, I fell into triathlon at Loughborough. Mm. Um because I wanted something to compete at where if I crossed the finish line first, I won. Mm. And if like th there was, there's no cheating a time chip, you can't hack no. that. You can't 
look prettier in your tri suit than anyone else, and therefore the judges go, "Oh, I think you can win." And mm. um, and so I fell back into triathlon, and then kind of fell into endurance, ultra endurance type stuff from triathlon, and it's just such a different feeling, and the like the highs are way higher. It's so much, mm. so much better. I prefer it so much. Yeah, it makes sense. Not really. I play sport a bit, but yeah, I've never, never competed in anything like that. And I don't really compete. Like, it's not something I particularly value. I'm super competitive, but not to the point where I have to compete against other people yeah. all the time. Um, but no, it makes sense. I can see the appeal for things like endurance events, particularly because those highs are a celebration of what your body's done rather than yeah. how small it's got or what it looks like. Which, yeah. as we know, is like body image 101, isn't it? Yeah. And one of the amazing things I noticed about when I did Race to the Stones was the variety of people that was doing it. Mm. Um, from the people that looked like endurance runners, like your typical long, lean, thin, to people who were like, didn't look, look like endurance runners, didn't look like Paula Radcliffe but were absolutely like tanking along and doing really really well and I was like oh and that was when I kind of started feeling not feeling better about my body but that's when I think I started going you know what I really do have like a runner's body and I'm I'm quite small and thin anyway but I am nowhere near the like endurance runner typical look Mm. like I stand next to an endurance runner and look like a a bigger girl and then and it was really nice to then go to race to the stones and um, um, which was is a hundred kilometer ultra marathon i say that like people just know what it is um 100 kilometers along the ridge ridgeway in oxfordshire um and you end up in wiltshire i think and yeah there was just bodies of all shapes and size and everybody was smashing it and it was fantastic to see and it just goes to show that what your body looks like doesn't dictate what it can do and i think those two things are very much conflated within the fitness industry mm. I think in a roundabout way, we've been educational there without even intending to be. Your worth is not defined by what it looks like, but whether you can run an ultra marathon. Exactly, yeah. And if you can't run 100 kilometres in one go, you're not really worth a great deal. Are you you even trying? That'll be 5,000 pounds. Yeah, do do better. Do better, do more. Considered being better. Um, So (laughs) that brings us on to performance nutrition. Are there any, like tenets or things that you really go by in terms of performance nutrition like if you came across someone no matter what they did what are the things that you're thinking immediately so like regardless of what sport they were doing yeah the first thing is probably energy as Mm. same with anything it's like are you actually fueling yourself appropriately and bearing in mind that appropriate fueling doesn't necessarily mean eating in a doesn't necessarily mean eating at maintenance so for some people there'll be people who want to run a marathon but also want to lose weight at the same time and are maybe using a marathon to help them lose weight which Mm. is i actually think is a horrible idea don't do that Um, but are people who are like i started jogging and i also want to lose weight so like your typical couch to 5k person will look at like energy and it's not necessarily total energy throughout the day but it's how are you distributing that energy around your training sessions. So if you're running at 5pm, 6pm after you finish work and you've had a banana for breakfast and a bowl of soup for lunch and then you're trying to go for your run afterwards, you're not distributing that energy particularly well. Um, So like, are you actually fueling? And fueling doesn't necessarily mean eating shitloads. It just means eating enough to get through that activity and like fueling will look dramatically different depending on what you're doing so if you're 
going out for a 20 minute jog you don't need to be tremendously fueled but you probably need to have had some carbohydrates at lunchtime you need to have had a bread roll with your soup mm. but if you're going out to do a 20 mile marathon session it's probably going to need to be a bit more hardcore so it's kind of like looking at the energy and then scaling it up or down based on what needs to happen mm. um energy hydration is a huge one especially especially in summer um mm. And I suppose in winter, because you don't have that drive to drink because you don't get as thirsty and dry. Yeah. But yeah, hydration's a huge one. Uh, carbohydrate would be the next one. And even in strength-based sports, you still need to be eating carbohydrates. And this is where a lot of those like, bikini competitors go really wrong, is that yeah. they decide to go keto. There was a, a infamous bikini coach who basically just put all her girls on keto. So they were just eating like chicken chicken egg whites i don't even think we're having egg yolks and i was like this isn't keto this is just protein basically mm. like a protein and vegetable only diet um and they were all like i just feel like absolute shit my training's gone to shit because i can't do anything and i can't even like i remember talking to one girl and she's like i got to the bottom of this flight and stairs flight of stairs to go up to like her lecture or something at uni and went nope and turned around and went back to her car because she was like i was so tired i couldn't face the stairs and mm. i was like that's mental but yeah um actually giving yourself enough carbohydrate to fuel the activity as well because that's the primary fuel source you're going to be using in pretty much energy and energy any activity as your energy this is where this is why i sometimes do written check-ins as your exercise intensity increases you swap over to using more carbohydrates and less fat so the graph looks basically like that does it yes it does so as your your fat in your fat expenditure fat burn is really mm -hmm. high here when you're doing low intensity stuff and it it dro gradually drops down the higher the intensity get and your carbohydrate at rest is very low but then the usage increases as you hit there and when you hit about like 55 65 percent of your maximum working capacity that's when it starts to swap over what's it called like I don't know if it's your VO2 max or if it's your like max power output or something like that. Maximum work capacity. Yeah, I think that's like that classic graph you'll think of is VO2 max, isn't it? I think. Yeah, I think it might be VO2 max. Yeah. But yeah, basically when you hit about 65%, you're predominantly burning carbohydrate. So yeah. actually, even for a not particularly difficult run, because if you think about 65% of your VO2 max, a lot of people who are going out jogging are going to be working there or above. Mm. Um, it's only once you get to really fit athletes where they probably don't hit 65% or even like 55% on their yeah. like slow, easy zone two type runs. So yeah, energy and adequate distribution of energy, carbohydrates and hydration are the three things that I'll look at first. And it's surprising how many athletes I come across and they go, what fancy things are we going to do? And I'm like, you're going to have breakfast. And they're like, I don't have breakfast. <laughs> Regular <I'm> like, meals. <laughs> what? <laughs> like, you're going to have some lunch. It's like, <laughs> rice and water. And like, what, what am I paying you for? And I'm like, rice and water, do it. <laughs> yeah. And then they come back and they're like, oh, I feel so much better. And I'm like, oh, that's interesting that we put carbohydrates into your diet. And now you're running well. It's like mm. if you didn't put petrol in your car and your car's broken. Yeah. Yeah, and then try and like put some air in your tires and see if that works. But actually, yeah. rather than addressing the actual problem, which is yeah. there's no fuel. Um, yeah, I think people forget how important carbs are. Like, obviously, I work more with strength athletes when I do work in performance mm. sports. Like, your central nervous system needs carbs. Yeah, it needs fuel. Like your your brain's preferred source of 
energy is glucose. Mm. So even if you're working like a really thought thought intensive job, so using Simon Miller Half's example, is like doing consultations in the GP surgery all day. He comes comes home and it's he's like wiped, mm. and he needs carbohydrate to sustain that and to fuel that, and even that like it's more i say i'm thinking brain power with like cns but it's all kind yeah. of like this entire brain spinal column thing it's all using carbohydrates so it, you do need them um yeah. you also get the benefit of like if you have a high carbohydrate diet and you're a strength athlete your muscles will be fuller and yeah. um, so it can change your leverages a little bit as well which is really helpful i don't work with as many strength athletes i tend to work with more endurance mm. so we're like opposite ends of the spectrum on that yeah but i think like people forget there's a difference between like do you need carbs for optimal performance and will they make you feel good and like if you're training to feel good like just have some have some because you might not need it for your half hour run or not might not need loads but i bet you if you had them an hour before you'd feel better yeah oh 100 percent um and it's yeah like you said it's you're not trying to stop it getting to empty mm. you're you're like making sure that you start up here so that you end down here instead of trying to take on just enough so that you, when you finish, you're, you're at empty. You're not mm. trying to do that. You're trying to make yourself actually feel quite nice. Um, I think people forget you, you actually use quite a lot of carbohydrates in day-to-day -day life as well. Mm. I've had a few lifestyle clients that we've just introduced some carbohydrate into their day and a bit, or carbohydrate at every meal um, or two out of three meals if they've been just having some like cereal at breakfast, salad for lunch, salad for tea. We'll introduce some starchy carbohydrates and they're like oh this is what i've been missing out on it's like yeah it's great isn't it and then mm. um, even like i have a few military clients and i've had a few previously as well and it's they, they are always amazed by how much carbohydrate they actually need to be able to do their jobs mm. yeah no absolutely and i think they also taste nice and we Thank forget you. about the importance of that in like general adherence how many people do you come across who are really unsatisfied by their diets but are only eating like protein and vegetables and like a tiny bit of carbohydrate at their meals? Yeah, quite a few. I imagine if I worked more with fitness or fitness industry type people, you'd get more. So I yeah. don't get many like gym bunnies where it's protein and veg. But I think a lack of satisfaction from meals is a massive thing for so many people because then you get like the diet culture people of i've done detox shakes or sins or points or whatever and end up just eating food that they don't enjoy and wonder why they still overeat yeah yeah like the satisfaction thing is a huge thing mm. and there are two things that i do for people with that it's like right you're going to add some starchy carbohydrates not like um like not like fruit or veg basically mm. potatoes rice pasta cereals and an adequate portion of them as well and mm. people are really scared to do this so they'll be like oh rice a tablespoon of rice and it's like no have a have a decent mm. scoop um adding some starchy carbs and people often find their digestion improves when they do that as well they stop mm. feeling as bloated and actually putting some fat in their meals the amount of women especially who come to me being like oh, i'm just so like unenthused by my diet i'm so unsatisfied i don't know why i'm binging i don't know why i'm overeating and then we start cooking their food in olive oil and put some cheese in their sandwich. Mm. And all of a sudden they're like, oh, this is great. Like, yeah. mixed. Turns out fruit and veg is nice if you cook it properly with it some oil. Yeah, yeah. fry light spray. Exactly, yeah. Like, I have a, a fry light and then I have a three egg white omelette. 
and I'd stand in German meals. Wow, really? Wow. <laughs> I'm not going to for dinner. Or yeah. they feel really lacking in energy. Mm. And it's like, well, you don't have any fat and, that, and so your, your hormones are tanked. Mm. And that's why you have, that's why you don't want to have sex with your girlfriend because you're not having any dietary fat. That's happened a few times. Yeah. We no, introduced no. even like some salmon. It's like, right, can we swap that chicken breast for some salmon? Mm. And it just helps so much. Yeah. Well, I have, I have like beef mince instead of chicken every third day. Is that not enough? Like, no, not really. No. But it's five percent beef mince. Five percent, obviously, like not too much fat. I don't want to take the piss. Yeah. But and how much oh, fat? Fat and carbohydrates are, I think, really underplayed. I think there's way too much emphasis on protein, and mm. people will be like hammering protein, protein, protein. And yes, it's important. And yes, you do need enough of it. And there's two ends of the spectrum. There's like the fitnessy people who have way more protein than anything else. And they're not very fitnessy people who probably need to eat more protein and meat. Yeah. Yeah. But the people who feel really unsatisfied by their diet probably need to sacrifice some protein and have a bit more carbohydrate and fat in there instead. Mm. Yeah, even just swap a protein bar for a Mars bar. Like you can do that and it's probably more enjoyable. I've working in strength sports, I've sometimes been in the weird position of dropping people's protein intake and then spacing it out better for them. So it's sort of like in between the two of like diet culture, we'd be like probably have some protein at breakfast and lunch rather than just at your evening meal and maybe a snack with it as well. Um, but also like rein in the protein. So it'll be like cereal or croissant for breakfast or toast sandwich at lunch with a bit of protein and then like 150 grams of protein just all lobbed in at the end of the day. I've hit my protein target. Yeah. Not, two not chicken breakfast. breasts and then like Greek yogurt mixed with whey protein powder and berries for pudding. Yeah not a pudding um no. but yeah it, it doesn't work very well at all and it's something that like endurance athletes are also really bad at they're really bad at protein mm. i'm i put myself in that category i don't eat anywhere near enough protein as i probably should but i have the issue of like i have really bad bowels when it comes to artificial sweeteners so mm. i really struggle i would use whey protein if it wasn't chock full of artificial sweeteners and that's a problem that me and other clients have had is that they've taken out protein powder and then gone, oh, I feel so much better. Like, I feel so much less bloated, so much less, like, all the time. Um, so if my protein, anyone who is watching this ever works with my protein and they want to devise a non-artificial sweetener protein powder, do it. Because yeah. I'll buy it. <laughs> yeah, I'll buy it and I'll tell everyone how great it is to not have the sweetener in it. And then I'll yeah. build your market for you. Yeah. Oh, it's so much better. Um, I work with a lot of IBS clients. That seems to have mm -hmm. become like a little bit of a niche. And because um, I, I started struggling with IBS when I was competing. And it's probably right. because I didn't have any food volume. Mm. So I just probably killed all my gut microbiota. And then really started struggling with like bloating and stuff like that. Um, and went through obviously like all of the testing to make sure that I wasn't dying. And it was all yeah. fine. And since I then cut out, I overnight cut out artificial sweeteners and most of it resolved itself and it was amazing so if anyone who's listened to this wants to take away a key point if you struggle with ibs or like bloating or upset tummy or anything like that get rid of protein bars and protein powders and those flavor drops that you're putting in your porridge or your coffee mm, yeah Ugh. um get rid of those sugar sweet free sugar sweet sugar free chewing gum and see if that helps because it's such a killer for so many people and they don't realize it yeah i think with fitnessy people with struggling with digestion the three things normally are the sweeteners is a big one the other thing is 
they're having about a thousand calories and most of them are mm-hmm. coming from sweetened food um which we know that you actually require energy to digest food and actually yeah. that's quite a big thing is like we see it in low energy availability like we know in reds digestion is an issue um and then because you're having such a low energy intake you actually can't even if you try to fit that much fruit and veggie so you're actually not yeah. getting any fiber you can't fit any carbs in like you said so you're not getting any fiber so those three things i've seen quite a lot of mm. And they're like, I'm going to take this probiotic. Will that help? Or insert other shit thing that Holland and Barrett have said they should buy. Yeah. No, eat some food, like real food. Yeah, eat some. The thing that really seems to help IBS patients is eating a bit of starchy carbohydrate and a bit of fat, especially mm. in like the fitnessy ones. Um, and it's so simple, but people hate simple things. <laughs> yeah. No, it's easy to just buy something for 20 quid from a shop, isn't it? Yeah. Um. And also, like, there's no point taking probiotics if you're not then going to feed that bacteria. Mm. So if you take it, it's gonna, it's not going to stay there. You're just going to poo it all out or end up actually just really constipated. Um, so you actually have to feed it with some, with some fibre, which mm. is annoying. But there you go. That's nutrition. Yeah, I think gut health is one of those areas. And I'm certainly by no means an expert because I think people probably underestimate how little we get taught. At uni mm. about things like that um it's one of those areas that's going to be huge soon but obviously people see that and then try and profit from it so there's a lot of misinformation out about it and if you want a good gut health person like dr megan rossi is probably the place mm. I go, who is an actual gut health researcher and is pretty, pretty much at the forefront of the gut health research but yeah it's linked to so many areas that we don't know enough about at the minute mm. um like mental health it's linked to yeah. mental health which is, it blows my mind that your belly controls the big mm. sap, basically. Yeah. Yeah. Um, or what else is it linked to that blew my mind? Like mental health, even like physical health conditions, like mm. cardiovascular disease. Yeah. I've mental. seen some links to like the neurological stuff, like Alzheimer's, Parkinson's, yeah. stuff, which is mad. But uh, I think the thing that blows my mind is the fact that it's bi-directional. So that affects your brain and then your brain affects uh, obviously your digestion and stuff. That's crazy yeah it it's it's very underappreciated but also there's there isn't really any secret hacks to fixing no. it so these people that are like oh my god i can heal your it's, apparently everyone has SIBO which is small intestinal bacterial overgrowth and um, every gut health person will be like oh my god you've got SIBO and we need to mm. fix that and um, when actually you're probably not drinking enough water if you're constipated not eating enough soluble and insoluble fiber so there's two types of fiber basically vegetables and oats pretty mm. much sums it up and um, and you're not eating enough like food volume is a huge thing for people yeah. you're actually not eating enough food you're going to struggle to poo mm. because there's nothing there to poo out mm-hmm. and also you're not sleeping and you're working 90 hours a week so the mm-hmm. stress of that's probably having quite a big impact on a lot of people as well and the things that we know improve your gut health is basically eating a massive variety of foods yeah so the that's fitness- the thing outside of yeah like clinical issues it's a relatively simple fix Mm -hmm. it's not a difficult thing really is it to optimize gut health it's really not and that's something that dr megan rossi um who is i think she's the only gut health person that i really follow Mm. um one of her posts the other day was like basically the only thing you need to do is eat enough of different varieties of food and they're doing tests and tests and tests and tests to work out what to do with it and they can do like fecal transplants and things like that, um, which do seem to be effective. But outside of, like you say, clinical issues, you just need to eat enough of different things. 
yeah. wide variety get loads of different colors on your plate and i feel like i feel like a massive like sell out nutrition fraud when i tell my clients it's like eat the rainbow and it, mm. it actually is helpful advice it actually works yeah no absolutely so i think trying to expand people's food and variety brings us on to relationship with food a little bit because people don't people try and eat as little as possible and sort of the fitness industry pushes that in that good nutrition is eating three things over and over again yeah i think the, the fitness industry and diet culture really hasn't mm. helped that perception of what is a good diet or what is like a healthy diet and a healthy diet is chicken rice broccoli salad insert wanky fitness food here it's it really hasn't helped because it's narrowed people's perceptions mm. and something that i'll do with clients is get them to start introducing new foods so like with some clients we have like magic ingredients which is mm. an ingredient that i want you to try and in include in your diet this week and it's something that we know you like but you and you're like oh you know what i'd really like to eat more aubergine and it's like right your challenge this week is to make something with aubergines in it and it's a really great way of expanding people's repertoires and i think people then they they niche down to chicken rice and broccoli and then because that's kind of keeping them where they are and probably keeping them in a thinner body which is probably mm. where they want to be it's then like right well if i go outside of this everything's going to go wrong and i'm going to get fat and in reality that's not the truth so what what i'll do with clients is get them to gradually start expanding that and gradually start introducing new foods it's even i did this with someone really successfully he was fantastic at it is we basically made a massive list of the foods that we were going to mm. challenge and it was even little things that was as as stupid sounding and as trivial as you always eat this very particular type of bread when you go to your next supermarket shop i want you to choose a different type of bread roll mm. and he was like, I got a poppy seed roll. It was really, really nice. Yeah. And I might do that again. And people learn that nothing bad happens when they then do that. And I think that's what people are worried about. It's like, oh, I got to, I lost this three stone mm. by only eating these six foods or only eating this rotation of meals on this meal plan. And that's why meal plans are problematic, but don't get me started. <laughs> I ate this meal plan, which had these six foods on it because the personal trainer gave it to me was too lazy to think of anything that had variety in it. Um, and therefore this is what works and therefore this is good and therefore to be a good person because people then attach their self-worth mm. to the food and when you attach labels to food you then attach yourself to that label and making it really inappropriate hand gestures um, <laughs> when you then attach don't yourself, do that with your food when don't do that with your food not a good idea when you then attach yourself to that label um you attach the label to the food you attach yourself to that label when you eat it so if you attach the label of like chocolate is a bad food, yeah. then when you eat chocolate, you become a bad person and you have to start calling yourself out on, on those labels. Yeah. On your own bullshit. Yeah. On your own bullshit. I had that conversation with a client this last week and she, she, in her check-in this week was like, I've been calling myself out on it and I can feel it being effective. And mm. she's like, and I started educating my husband and I'll call him out when he does it. Yeah. I think it's really prevalent, isn't it, saying, like, I can't have this thing or I am this thing. That's sort of like cognitive fusion of I've now welded to this idea and I'm not going to let it go. I had a conversation not that long ago with a client who was adamant they were addicted to food or to mm -hmm. chocolate. Um, and they always overate when they had it. Um, and so I said, like, oh, if you, do you have chocolate when you're at a restaurant? Yeah, I do, actually. Do you order it four times? No. 
well immediately then it's not the food it's the context we you're consuming the food and it's clearly the issue i love the magic food idea i think i've done that before where i because we know like 30 plants is a sort of recommendation per week yeah. um so i'll get clients to just list 30 and then to go okay well put together one meal for the week that has some of those that you don't have all the time yeah um i think people, the other thing oh, sorry, okay. i was gonna say people forget that like herbs and spices count in yeah. there as well so it doesn't mean that you have to eat an apple a pear an orange a banana a plum you can have like thyme in your chicken and mushroom pie and that counts yeah. as, a, as a as a plant it pushes you to cook nicer food like rather than buying like a shop-bought guac for example you get avocado you get some coriander some tomato and you make it yourself mm -hmm. and suddenly got four portions of veg where you wouldn't have done before um the what i was going to say the other thing that i think reduces people's food variety which i've sometimes stopped clients doing and it's had a big impact is tracking because people get bored of tracking different food yeah so just take that away and just say, okay, we'll just cut the food you want to eat and we'll work on some other ways of you. Like if you're trying to lose weight of reducing your calorie intake mm -hmm. and you immediately eat more. Most of my clients who track to have one day off a week where it's like, mm. we're not going to track. You can food diary, so write it down, but don't put it in my fitness pal and it works a dream. And that's stopping people from getting reliant on tracking as well. Mm. Yeah. Do you find that you help a lot of people once you work with them when they are tracking to move away from it? yeah it's it's my aim for when mm. people it's like i should probably tell more people about it as like a policy but it's kind of yeah. something i decided that i valued was people then not being a slave to my fitness pal so before people like leave unless they are actually really happy and content tracking because i get people that are like no i love tracking i don't want to stop yeah, doing same. it um mm. but if they're like this is a means to an end and it's a tool that i'll use i'll i'll kind of make sure that before they leave before they're like finished done ready and happy to go and that they, they've stopped tracking because i think it can become yeah. a behavior that people are very very dependent on and we either go cold turkey or um or we start just decreasing it gradually by having like one non-tracking mm. day and then we'll take out a weekday and a weekend day and then it'll be like two weekdays and a weekend day then it'll be like right you're gonna go this whole weekend without tracking and see how it goes and people are terrified because this tracking has kept them either at this weight or kept them losing weight. So obviously that's the thing that, that they need to do forever. But then yeah. they take it away and it's like, see, nothing bad happened. And they're like, oh. And often people then, if people are, are tracking, but then struggling with weight loss and being like, oh, the scales aren't moving. I don't know what's happening because I'm tracking everything that I put in my mouth and you're not tracking everything. Because yeah. if you were, then the scales be moving. Um, but often I'll get people who are adamant that they're tracking right or tracking well to then remove it and all mm. of a sudden the scales start dropping and they're like don't know and i'm like mm, me neither just magic mm, nutrition magic nutrition. yeah i think I've, I've worked with like engineers for example who are just so data crazy that they like yeah. tracking and that's absolutely fine like if it's not an issue for them yeah um but yeah i, I think it's interesting you say that because i've used and do use both approaches of some clients i'm like right let's pull the plug on tracking no mm. more that's some right. clients it's yeah a couple of days a week or we only track a certain meal or like there's a million and one different ways. And the same with tracking full stop. There's a million ways of tracking. You mentioned food diaries as one, like you don't have to use my fitness path to track your food. Yeah. I get most clients who don't track calories. Most of them who don't track calories do a food diary for at least a while mm -hmm. to get, get a handle on what they're doing. And a lot of them really like it because yeah. they, it gives them really good self accountability yeah. and they, 
they know that nothing's off limits and because they can't see the calories as they're as they're putting in the diary they don't then get that like pang of guilt over mm. oh i had chocolate cake because they can't they have no idea like what's in it and um, you could probably have a good guess but you can't mm. then associate associate it with a number and i find it really useful it's probably one of the most helpful strategies that i use is food diarying mm. i think it's great what you said about like you could have a good guess because some people are like i have to track otherwise i don't know what's in my food and then you <laughs> see how they've tracked certain meals and you think how the fuck do you think that that contains that <laughs> you're like, not tracking my bowl of porridge had 12 and a half calories in it yeah, exactly, <laughs> I'm like, yeah. okay i went for an indian and uh the curry was 250 calories at a tikka masala no it wasn't it wouldn't taste like it did if it was <laughs> yeah <laughs> like that had a lot more ghee in it than you think yeah exactly um, and the issue with things like my fitness pal is that a lot of the foods aren't verified so mm. it's somebody called steve sorry if there's any steves watching but it's somebody Boy, called steve who's like 50 and hasn't ever tracked before and no one's taught him how to do it he's just decided he's gonna start mm. but has kind of got the wrong end of the stick with it and he's like yeah i'm doing this right but isn't doing it right at all and has added his own foods in um or has added a food in but hasn't changed the portion size so maybe for him it was 250 calories, but for you it's absolutely not. Mm. There's so many issues with it. And I say issues, I mean, it's not as sensitive as people think it is. Yeah, it's not, unless you you really know what you're doing and you're really on it, it's not as accurate as a lot of people think it is. And mm. um, I think a lot of people decide that because they've tracked it, it means it's true and it really mm. isn't. And you have to be a little bit... Um, oh what's the word i'm looking for skeptical about what you're mm. putting in your food diary and go actually is this right and really easy trick just cross-reference it on the tesco website if you're mm. not sure if that chicken breast is like the correct nutrition information tescogroceries.com and um, chicken breast and then cross-reference per 100 grams and if it looks yeah. about right then fantastic you've got the right food and if it doesn't then don't i use that all the time whenever mm. a client's like oh i had this I'll just, I'll Google it. I'll look for an equivalent on like the, and the Tesco website I use especially because it usually has really good interest information on it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, if a client's ever, I'm ever looking at a food diary and I'm like, oh, I wonder roughly what that was. I'll just look for an equivalent and, yeah. and have a good guess. But mm. that's an easy way to do it. Yeah. And then also overestimate if you're eating out rather than like just, is my curry, if it, when it tastes this nice, going to contain so little fat that it's 250 calories? Absolutely not. Change the decimal point. Yeah. yeah. Oh, um, just don't bother tracking it. All that, yeah. I get some clients sometimes who, and it depends how you approach this mm. as to what you do. You can either eat normally during the day and then just go out and enjoy your meal, not go overboard, be sensible, order a curry, and either like, <clears> if, <throat> if people are trying to lose weight, I'll say either either rice or naan, or like order mm. both and share them with someone else. Yeah. Um, I love that we've gone on to curry, a curry example, but it's, it's <laughs> accurate for what a lot of clients will do. Share them with someone else. Go halves on a portion of rice. You probably don't eat the whole thing. Um, order a curry. If you want, have a starter. Maybe share one if you want to. And don't bother tracking it. And that's yeah. probably more like the relationship with food type clients that, that I'm, mm. I say eat normally during the day. And some clients who really are weight loss focused, it'll be a case of, right, you haven't got any performing to do today you're not particularly training go get go hit your steps um 
go oh, that makes me sound like such a cringy <laughs> hit those steps get your 10,000 stairs or else and then have like more protein and vegetable based meals yeah or lighter meals for your breakfast and lunch and maybe skip the snack or ha mm. or swap those snacks that you'd normally have for pieces of fruit so keep your whole day lighter and then you've got that flexibility to go out in the evening and again yeah. just principle with it yeah when people say i'm socializing this weekend how should i manage my food i hate that question because i like have to start doing wrist exercises and then type out like the a million and one different ways you can do it. And these are your options and it's up to you which one you do. Like you can All eat, of them right. eat in your deficit for the for six days and then well six and a half days and then just go and eat and not be in deficit that week if you want. Mm -hmm. Like that's fine as well. Um and another thing that I've spoken to a lot of clients about recently actually is if you're going for food and not just curry food generally and you're doing it socially because you really value the connection all the time to film with that person. If you're going somewhere where the food you know is pretty shit, or at least average, yeah. just order something that probably fits your goals a bit better. If you're going out with a partner to a nice restaurant for food, have the food. If yeah. you're going to Spoons, probably don't have the massive burger because it's going to taste like shit anyway. Yeah, I, just have a salad. I think the same. And yeah, it's, it's about the people, not about the food. And if people are going out for, like, like you said, mediocre food, or like... Mm normal food i'd even yeah. put curry in the bracket of like normal food mm. if you're not going for a 12 course tasting menu or to somewhere like really special or really mm. nice and you're going out and you're going mental with food and you're feeling obliged to order everything on the menu it probably says a lot about your relationship with food and it probably needs mm. means we need to fixate on that a little bit more i've got loads of clients going on holiday at the moment and one has just got back and she um said in her check-in today she's like i felt okay just i just ordered one scoop of gelato when we went out mm. for ice cream and previously i'd have felt compelled to have like multiple scoops and because yeah. we've done so much work on her relationship with food it's not a case of i've right i've got this week to eat mm. everything that i've not been allowing myself to eat and i have to get it all into this week before i go back to being good next week because yeah. those foods are never off limits and yeah. this is the joy of relationships with food if you work on your relationship with food and you have weight management issues doing the work with the relationship with food might lead to weight loss in the long term without you really having to try yeah absolutely i think if you restrict those foods it's almost like your brain saying well if not now when like i don't know when i'm next going to be given permission to eat this so i've got to make the most of it now yeah. i think the other thing that's a great point that you said about reflecting on your relationship with food if you're doing that the other thing is your relationship with the people you're with if you're feeling yeah. like you've got to order those all those things or get hammered when you don't want to maybe there's a relationship with those people or how you spend time with them or how you'd like to spend time with them yeah oh absolutely and if if you're going there and feeling like obliged to to order loads maybe because your friends always do and i think mm. peer pressure is a huge thing nobody cares if you skip starters nobody cares if you skip desserts they'll say something in the moment mm. but there's nothing wrong with you being like oh actually um I'm really, really trying to lose some weight. I'm working with a nutritionist. Or if you're not, like, you don't, yeah. don't lie. Um, but I'm like, maybe I'm working on making better choices for myself. I'm working on really nourishing myself. And I actually, like, don't really want a starter. And this is kind of all part of my diet. Yeah. So I'm going to skip it. And they'll, they'll be like, okay. Yeah. And it's not a big deal. And if mm -hmm. the friends make it into a big deal, they're probably not the best of friends. Yeah. 
And think, I imagine lads' culture is different because I imagine like lads' lads' lads is like, wait, why are you not having a drink? Why sometimes it's easy like, though. So I think there's the sort of person where you explain it and they're fine with it. Mm. There's, and I have a lot of female clients where they're not often partners, but often mothers or parents or yeah. other female friends. And then we'll go through the process of how do you set boundaries properly. So actually, we're not talking about this. No, I've said we're not talking about this. If you talk about it again, I'll do one. And then doing one and actually backing that up. Um, with, in my experience with male friends anyway, you can just tell them to fuck off. <laughs> I love that. He's like, they'll change the subject pretty quick. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of people have problems with family. Um, mm. That's one thing I notice. And all pe other people commenting on what they eat, and I said this to one of my clients last week, she was worried about like people commenting on the volume of food that she eats and um, because she has a big appetite she needs to eat a lot of food to feel full so mm. we focus a lot on volume eating on eating plenty of vegetables like packing her plate out with veg so that she also gets the physical sensation of fullness as well as the satisfaction and mm. um, because we've noticed that actually if we reduce her portion sizes she just ends up feeling really hungry like it's she's like i'm really satisfied but i'm just my belly's still rumbling so mm. we've been while while we gradually like work to make that less of a problem for her it's like volumey like get some veggies in and she's noticed that people especially like friends and family will comment on how much she eats and it's like oh i thought you were on a diet i think that's the typical one mm. i thought you're on a diet or should you be eating that or like are you going to eat all of that is a typical one um and that i think screams more about the person that's saying it than who they're saying it to i think it screams of their insecurities and it, whether it that's like a I wouldn't be able to eat that much or like I care about you and it's misunderstood care mm. it's them going I care about you and I don't in my perceptions that isn't yeah I don't have the knowledge to back that care up yeah um yeah. and I've kind of said to people like just explain it to them say to people oh no so I'm working on my nutrition I'm more than happy to explain it to you if you'd like and that way they, they get to be like, oh no, it's fine, just leave it and then feel a bit embarrassed about the fact that they've said anything to you. Or you can actually have a chance to like educate them if they want to understand what you're doing so that they can better support you. And, mm. and that client's done that and she's like, actually, it worked really well. Yeah. Tell you who has a harder time than clients justifying their food choices. Us. Us. 100% us. So much. It's getting easier, I think. As the... Think? Uh, maybe because maybe I don't go out with friends um <laughs> i don't have like friends that will comment on my food yeah. um like oh, since you know what since lockdown i really just haven't particularly seen anybody because mm. i moved and yeah. all my friends kind of moved everyone sort of dispersed all over the country slash the world um so yeah. i have friends in like ireland portugal the states like everywhere so like and simon doesn't comment on what he eats, so it's fine um but yeah, like, I think it's getting easier, but I don't know if that's just our echo chamber on social media. Yeah. I think first time I meet people, I still get it. First mm. time I eat with people, and then I quickly shut that down so I don't get it again. I'll forever be an absolute scumbag for having two sugars in my tea. Forever. <laughs> There's no no way around it. It's yeah. a penis crime. <laughs> I, do you know what? I am, I'm a coffee snob who is partial to a caramel macchiato from Starbucks. So... Mm. But I it's enjoy not, everything. Not it's a dessert. I enjoy everything on the coffee spectrum. Yeah. So I ha I drink black coffee and I'd happily drink espresso. I mm. would order a flat white from a coffee shop. I'm happy to have like a, a nice latte with syrup in if the weather's nice. Yeah. Had a caramel macchiato also is a dessert, but also lovely. Okay. Yeah, and 
yeah, you see people, don't you? And I remember, so while I was doing Race to the Stones, at the end, you get to the end and there's like, they put food on for you and it's literally like chicken, burgers, chips, like fried chicken, burgers, mm. chips, those kind of things. Because A, you need the calories and B, you need the salt because you've, yeah. you've been sweating for the last 14 hours. Um, and I remember I bumped into a guy who you chat to people as you go yeah. along and I bumped into him again at the end and he was like oh I hope nutritionist are you eating chips and I was like fuck off <laughs> I just ran 100 kilometers leave me alone yeah I mean and the other thing with that is obviously you do get the suppression of appetite after exercise so actually mm. food choices that are more palatable are probably the best option yeah um I train a lot like way more than a person normal person probably should Mm. Um, it's like for like a non-professional athlete yeah brain too much um or more than a regular person and 100 percent, a lot of the time if it doesn't taste good i'm just not that fussed mm. so all of my meals and if i have a post up on instagram it'll be weeping tiger steak the other day really confused a lot of people it was mm. not a steak from a tiger that was crying it was steak no. and you put some fancy soy sauce it looks good though it's really good really great mm. way to cook steak we got it once from a takeaway and Simon was like, oh, it's fantastic. Mm. And we got it and I think we got it delivered or something and it like was a bit, a bit soggy cold. and a bit cold yeah. and a bit oh, not very good. And I was like, I could do this better. So mm. I made I made it ourselves and it's really tasty. It's a very like Thai style steak, really nice. Um, but yeah, I think whenever I post food on Instagram, that's genuinely what I eat. And it has cheese on it. It has... I use chicken legs instead of chicken breast because I prefer them. And chicken thighs right. also because chicken breast is really expensive. Um, yeah. Chicken thighs and chicken legs and salmon and roasted vegetables and stuff that's got like spices and flavours because I'm just not that bothered about boring food. Mm. I think it's nice for people to see that you eat normal food as well yeah. with flavour in it. Like what um, I eat in a day videos are depressing. It's like oats with protein powder and like a banana and a bit of peanut butter. And it's like, that's very nice, but also boring. Um, I say that my breakfast is really boring. And it's like, oh, I had a snack and I had a rice cake. I had I had a cheesecake, a rice cake with a, a spreading of light Philadelphia and a bit of peanut butter dribb dribbled on top. It's like I had, a, I had a healthy cheesecake. And a, Honestly, yogurt and Weetabix isn't a cheesecake. That's not, a, a big bugbear at the moment for me. That, you know, that's not a cheesecake. Um, yeah. Although overnight Weetabix is really nice. You can do it like overnight oats, but with Weetabix. Oh, yeah. It's yeah, really good. Absolutely. But just call it that. Just call it that. It's not cheesy. Yeah, it's um, and then it's like air fried sweet potatoes, but they also didn't put any olive oil on it. So it's just like dry, crunchy sweet potatoes, a mm. piece of fish and some like vegetables. And yeah. oh, it just makes me... And some oh, some of them are, are quite nice. I follow a few vegans who do them for a bit right. of like recipe inspiration. Mm. But I am very selective with who I follow for that. Yeah. And I get hints and tips about like salad dressings that you can make. Like a tahini salad dressing is a wonderful mm. thing. Yeah, it is. just little bits and pieces like that that I might not think to do, like how to make pesto out of an avocado, mm. um, and to coat your spaghetti in. But some people, I think the fitness people, take it too far. So yeah, yeah. if you're going to look at any what I eat in a day type stuff, look at foodie people because yeah. you'll get really nice ideas from there. And I've had great ideas that I've used mm. and different cultures as well. Like I'll follow a few. Mm. I follow a few like Asian foodie influencers yeah. who show that type of stuff. And I'm like, oh, that's great. And now I do loads of, I'll, I'll do like summer rolls, um, mm. you know, like the spring rolls, but in the rice paper. Yeah. And they're really good and they're super tasty. So yeah. My yeah. Days. 
I think the thing with all those food pages is they rarely post the whole day. They'll put just post yeah. meals, and that's great. Mm-hmm. I follow loads of food pages because I love food. Yeah. But they don't post like this is what I eat in a day, and then also a picture of them with barely any clothes on. Yeah. It's not the same. Yeah, like linking the food they eat to the body that's probably quite mm. genetically determined. Yeah, and that's I think that's almost I still have an issue with it, even when people post probably an appropriate amount of calories for them. So I've seen people do it with like 24, 2500 calories, but you're still sort of pushing this idea that this is what people should be eating to be like you. Yeah, or this idea of like, well, I can eat 2500 yeah. calories a day and be thin. Fuck yeah. you all. Like that kind of idea of like, you're not good enough because you can't eat two, two yeah. and a half calories. I've tried that, it doesn't work. I'm the problem. Yeah, it really, it annoys me so much. Like, thin influencers going here's what i eat in a day which is 2800 calories it's like yes but you also are an online coach you do 23 billion steps a day and also most of your like most of your food intake comes from like vegetables and chicken and stuff like that oh it just annoys me yeah i've wanted to for a while study and look at correlation between amount of times people see those videos and disordered eating that would be really interesting. I think there would be. And I did sort of start it, but then trying to get it through university is hard. Yeah. Um, and there's so many different ways of measuring both. Well, there's no standardised way of measuring Instagram, and then there's loads of ways of looking at the other stuff. So Yeah, I can imagine. But I want to see that and people that take nutrition courses at undergrad and their disorders. So many. Even, like, I'm, I feel like I'm quite well put together. Even I really struggled. I wrote, a, I wrote a post about this not long ago and quite a few people who were on my undergraduate course messaged me and were like, I'm so glad that you said this because I felt exactly the same way. We had this module called Nutrition 21 um, and it was basically all about like nutrition in the 21st century and it was basically diet culture. It was a module on diet culture. It was, oh, it, it made a lot of us feel very bad and very judged because it was all about like vegetarianism and veganism and, and these kind of being like new and trendy and good for you mm. like good for us and i understand the the sentiment of it but my god it gave so many of us like i remember making sweet potato protein brownies at uni um like as an actual mm. practical it's like yeah. potato protein brownies smoothies like the standard things mm. and it's like oh, i just want to i want to make something i, I see a, i see a lot of sports nutrition pages and sports nutritionists post pictures of desserts athletes get and they do look shit and i just think their energy expenditure is so high how are they not yeah if if i have normal clients having ice cream and cake and strawberries for pudding how can they not how are these endurance athletes who are burning like four five thousand calories a day Mm. not able to do that yeah revelation to endurance athletes it's a revelation when i'm like you could just have some pudding because they're like, mm. oh, I'm just like really full all the time. I'm like, have you got a sweet tooth? And they're like, yeah, but sweet pudding is bad. And it's like, actually, it, it's great. Um, my sisters were all swimmers. Mm. So the night before, like swimming galas, it would be fish fingers and pasta. Pasta and fish fingers and then chocolate cake and ice cream. And a lot of the time, they'd just have chocolate cake and ice cream for breakfast before the swimming gala and mm. swim like an absolute train. And I did it the night before Race of the Stones. I had like basically an almost entire bag of those chocolate chip mini brioche that you get. Oh yeah. It was so good. And the next day just was like, I felt like I was flying. I, I run so well after pizza and cake mm. ice cream. Like it's a, a fail safe formula. 
for yeah. having all the energy the next day. It's great. It's sad when people don't get that. I remember seeing someone working with someone in the rugby union trying to gain weight in season and they were having like high protein berry sorbet for dessert. I was like, why? They're in tears. Yeah, it's giving them a crumble or something and let them get on with their day. Yeah, because the weight that they're going to be gaining isn't going to be muscle mass because they're already so close to their genetic muscular potential that you can't speed that up. If you need them to gain just pure weight, they're going to have to gain some fat. Which in rugby is fine because it's collision sport. Which is fine. Yeah. Some sports nutritionists, it blows my mind. It's like a healthy snack before you go running. Have a um, a cereal bar with all these nuts and seeds and all yeah. this fiber in it. It's, I would do <clears throat> myself. Yeah, if I those. I made the mistake. Um, Race the stones probably about eighty-five kilometers in, and I had had probably about fifteen to twenty gels at this point, and I was like, I need something different because um, my stomach was kind of churning a little bit. I was like, I need something a bit more solid just to settle it. And the only thing that was really available at the aid station at that point was these um, cereal bars. But they had like chocolate on and I was like, oh, I want some chocolate. I want some dark chocolate because everything had been very sweet. Yeah. I was like, I want the bitterness of dark chocolate. And I had this protein bar. And then I looked on the packet after I'd read it and it was like high fibre. And I was like, oh no, this isn't going to go well. And I had to use the portaloos at the next aid station. <laughs> mm which is not fun. Not a surprise. Yeah, sports nutrition is a strange one, isn't it? I don't think I'm... I I dabble in it still, but I don't miss working in it. I don't... Yeah, I don't miss working in, like, the strength sport arena. I love Mm. the endurance side of it. A population I really, really love working with is, like, the first-timers, like, the Mm. beginner... Beginner ultramarathoners, beginner Ironman people, beginner, like, triathletes because you can make such a difference to their journey. And they're so like willing, because they're not jaded by this other sports nutrition mm. stuff. They're so open to all of your suggestions. So when I'm like, have you tried having pizza the night before you go for your big bike ride? Because mm. also you're not going to have all that mechanical jiggling that you get when you run. And yeah. um, I love it when they're like, oh, that worked a treat. And mm. they feel great for it. And then they perform really well. And because they're performing well, they can like handle more training. And then they get better because they can handle the training capacity and actually do the training because they have energy. And it's so rewarding. Um, mm. And I basically get to save them a lot of hardship of going, I need to eat healthily because I'm doing endurance sport. Mm. I completely relate to that. So when I was at Hartbury, I used to work with like obviously college and uni 16 to 21. And it's exactly mm. the same. Like they're not, they've got no preconceptions about nutrition other than what their mum's told them. So I get to unteach them yeah. that and then be like, go and eat some food your training volume is mental and so yeah. you like education like study volume so yeah you've just won you've played 80 minutes have some pizza yeah Blows yeah mind. i used to work with Doncaster rovers and um, mm. the academy yeah and they'd be like oh like when's the best time for a takeaway and i was like a match you've just run around yeah. especially if you've been on for most of it if you've come on for the last five minutes don't do it um mm. but like honestly after you've had a really big training day or you've had um, or you've been on for the majority of the match and you've just played 90 minutes and you've been powering around for 90 minutes because they moved a lot. It mm. surprised me just how much... I went to a couple of the games. Um, it surprised me just how much they actually were running around and how fast they were going as well. Mm. As someone who admittedly doesn't know a whole lot about football um, but knows enough about like the energy mm. systems and the 
I didn't realise literally just how intense it really is. When you watch it on TV, it doesn't look that intense. No. Um, but yeah, they were like, when's the best time to have a takeaway? I was like, after a match day. That's when mm. you want to be doing it. Because you've also got a recovery day the next day. So you don't yeah. need to have your digestion, digestion in the best place ever. Um, mm. And then you can kind of have something a bit more gut friendly that's yeah. not going to make you feel a little bit like heavy the next day. And you can be back at training feeling really fresh and really energised. Because generally, mm. if you have a takeaway, like if you have a pizza or a kebab, it's actually really high in protein mm. and high in energy, which is what you need. Yeah. I think I remember seeing a talk from a very, very like high up sports nutritionist who worked at national, international level, still does, like bragging about the fact that he'd removed sauces from the table, like ketchup and stuff. Was it and I was just like, No, it wasn't. Was it Lauren Ballack? No. Oh, in that in that sort of like in that ilk. circle though, yeah. Yeah. Um, and I was just like, why? Yeah. What's the point? It made, it made the great point that if you they he then made them present the food better when the players were getting it because then it looks nice and they're more likely to eat like veg if it's presented in a way that looks palatable. Yeah. But a bit of sauce never really hurt anyone, I don't think. What you, he, what you said about watching the, and ketchup to make yeah. to eat it, do it. Yeah. What you said about watching the games is interesting. Because when I I watched the talk from Sophie Killer once, and she was like, shot put. I thought that wasn't that hard. Then I watched. I went to training and I had to go and collect it every time they're thrown it. And suddenly my idea of their energy expenditure is like doubled. I'm like, oh yeah, yeah like, I get it now. Yeah, yeah. Sophie Killer was at Loughborough. Um, mm. You were at Loughborough, weren't you? Yeah. Um, yeah. She. So something that she said. Actually, we we challenged her on, and she didn't really have an answer for it. And. Mm. Um, she basically went, no adult should be eating full fat dairy. And like immediately three of us, you know, Lizzie, don't you, Lizzie Briasco? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Immediately we were all like, why? <laughs> and, and she just didn't really have an answer. And mm. it's something that I've never understood that why she, why she said that or why she held that opinion. Because um, yeah. I don't see anything wrong with athletes who've got a high energy expenditure using full fat dairy as, as a food source. Um, and she also disagreed with us that athletes don't have a high prevalence of disordered eating, especially after they've left the sport. And I was like, mm. literally every... She probably also has a different perception of it because she works yeah. with like the elite of the elite and they probably yeah. get aftercare. But mm. if you ask the majority of recreational, non-elite, like sub-elite, kind of elite, age group level athletes, even some elite ones, like there's a gymnast mm. called Niall Wilson who very openly talks about his struggles with his relationship with food and mm. um, she kind of denied that they had problems afterwards and I was like every athlete my, I know including myself mm. struggled with their relationship with food after they left sport yeah and also during like the research supports the fact that athletes particularly in certain sports but across the board have a higher prevalence of eating disorders and disorders mm -hmm. eating. so like sports are yours where there's an emphasis on leanness and mm -hmm. being light massively high yeah I always and that's why Gymnastics, yeah, diving, exactly. so, yeah. Working in college and uni was hard because you've got the increased prevalence from the sports side, but then obviously uni and college, it's higher there. So yeah. you're like, oh, it's like a perfect storm for shit could go it wrong is. here. It's, yeah, it's, um, uni's an interesting place as well because mm. for a lot of these kids, it's all they're doing. They go into yeah. lectures, they go home and sleep, and they get go to training. It's the perfect environment to be an athlete in. Mm. Yeah. But Something I mean, we, sorry, carry on. Okay, so we, which one do you have more issue with, the sports nutrition world or the fitness industry? 
do I have more what interesting issue with issue with oh probably still the fitness industry yeah but I think it's more talked about I think the 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 sports nutrition industry is very like accepted as as gospel but there are people that are challenging it and people are generally better with it but people in like sports nutrition tend to eat a bit more normally so Mm. they won't necessarily be as like well I can't have this I can't have that yeah like the relationships with food I think tend to be a bit better probably Mm -hmm. do you know what probably because they have a higher energy expenditure um, and so they have more leeway for eating more interesting food if you are a fitness influencer who goes to the gym for an hour a day and then does your 10,000 steps and then sits on your laptop yeah you could be eating 1400 calories couldn't you like conceivably easily especially if you're like a woman as well i think people that get into fitness also aren't the people that got into sport Mm. it's people that are like probably shorter probably women and probably previously were maybe like overweight or heavier like a bit chunkier who have maybe lost weight who maybe have like these big appetites but don't have the energy expenditure to support it so we're actually having to work quite hard to maintain that lower body weight because we know that like either reduced obese or reduced overweight tend to have a higher, harder time managing mm. their body weight. And um, so, yeah, it doesn't surprise me that there's a lot of prevalence of eating disorder in the fitness industry or disordered eating, not even the eating disorder, just like really shit relationships with food. Yeah. And there'd probably be a higher eating disorder population if it wasn't so ingrained in them that what they were doing was right and they actually went into a GP. Like, if you actually assessed mm-hmm. more of the fitness industry, you'd probably see a much higher prevalence. I think it would be underestimated now. Because mm-hmm. unless it gets serious, people don't think it's an issue that they've got. And mm. um, I don't think social media helps either. Like, the, no. the comparison. Because you don't see normal people. Like, you don't see real people. Real people. Mm. You don't... And eating disorder prevalence went up during lockdown, especially in teenage girls, because they weren't going to school and seeing their friends and seeing yeah. their friends in their PE kits and seeing like normal bodies modeled to them all they were seeing is these like perfect photoshopped um Mm. curated surgery had bodies on instagram and they're comparing themselves to them and i think that's another like fault of the fitness industry is that there's a lot of comparison there's a lot of like oh i'm not good enough because this bit wobbles and even when influencers do that like oh my god have you like have you seen my bloating (laughs) trying to push out their stuff and you and a lot of people would kill to have a stomach that looks like a bloated influencer or they're like I oh think God, everyone has roles as they're trying to pinch a bit of skin i would bet good money that after years of people photoshopping themselves smaller to sell you get people photoshop the other way to do those I, posts yeah 100 i've heard of um like influencers overheard overheard influencers being like no i don't look fat enough in that one can you take it again like instead of like the i don't look thin enough you know that whole craze with like i'm gonna clench my bum as hard as possible and squeeze it into an in in my bikini so you can like see my cellulite i'm gonna really exaggerate it and it's like oh it doesn't look exaggerated enough i look too normal take it again yeah one thing i'm internally grateful for is the fact that my body does not sell my work ever (laughs) Yeah. I am. Um, <laughs> I was considering doing like a little poll on my stories that was like, why do you follow me? And it's going to be like, dazzling personality, occasional 
bikini photo, like nutrition. <laughs> yeah. And I bet most of it would be like occasional bikini photo. Because <laughs> those, yeah. those, it gets engagement though. If you oh, look yeah. at some influencers, the ones that have shitloads of followers post nothing meaningful whatsoever. And it's just them with their tits out half the time. Mm. It's like, oh, yeah. I'm bum. Yeah. And then it's like, should you be eating breakfast as the caption? Like, I'm not really sure how they're related. Should we put you over What, eating breakfast here? <laughs> exactly. Um, yeah, there's so many issues. Um, Maybe that'll be my next email. To yeah, my yeah. Every single issue ever. It'd take me a year to write. Yeah, that's, a, that's the thing. I always say to people at the end of the week, if I was going to dig into every issue I had with Fitness History, it'd be here for a while. Mm-hmm. I think that's why I really like the type of people that I work with. It's because mm. a lot of them have either been like burned by the fitness industry or just don't feel like they fit in. Yeah, they're not, identify with not, like they're not twenty something. Um, they're like they're working moms. They're retired. They have like finally got to the time in their life where they're going part time in their jobs. Or like they're or they're like they they're like I was always the fat friend. Um, mm. and I really like the little group of people that I I work with because they are all people that feel a bit rejected and, and separate and distant from the fitness industry as well and don't feel like they'll ever really fit into that and don't want to fit into it mm. because they see it and they're like nah that's not me yeah no I have exactly the same I think I got into strength sport and then I found that and found my interesting relationship with food in that a lot of the women I was working with did it as a way of losing weight and then realized that they really enjoyed it and wanted to be good at it and they still yeah. had all the old hangers about food but then were like oh actually I'm now an athlete as well once I convinced them they were athletes. Um, they were like, I need to sort my food out. Can we do it in a less wanky, non-fitness way? Yeah. yeah. Which I love. And it, it's really nice when you get people to realise that actually you don't have to do it in a wanky fitness way. And it's like, oh, I thought that was it. Thank, thank God for that. I thought that was the only way. Um, and it, it's, it's lovely when people have that realisation of, oh, having a sweet tooth isn't a bad thing like mm. the fitness industry makes out it is. Yeah. And I can treat my sweet tooth with more than dark chocolate and natural peanut butter. Yeah. Being a foodie is not only not a bad thing, it's probably a good thing for you. And you should probably lean into that rather than yeah. run away from it. Yeah, I think the people that aren't foodies are the ones that probably really do end up with poor relationships with food. Because they are like a terrible, not terrible health outcomes, but like poor gut health yeah. in the fitness industry. Because they never like learn how to cook because they were always... No, there's no drive, is there? Because, yeah, because it was always chicken and rice and like, why would you bother with anything else? Yeah. So I think actually being a foodie and being interested in food is really helpful. I agree. Yeah. We should probably leave it there, shouldn't we? We should. Oh, oh, heck. Time flies. Um, I feel like we only scratched the surface as well. Oh, there's so much. We'll have to do some podcasting because that'd be good. I genuinely think we'd have a good time. We would. We'll do another one of these where it's solely the fitness industry and our gripes. <laughs> Get people to send them in in advance yeah. and we'll just go in on them. I'll give but, you a few months to write your list as well. Yeah, a few months. I think it will take that. Um, right. Yeah. Thank you very much for that. Thank you for having me. That's Seriously right. enjoyed it. Yeah, I thoroughly enjoyed it as well. And we will do it again and we'll sort some podcasts out as well. We will. Right. Thank you everyone Lovely. for joining. It's tea time. Yeah, thank you very much. What you Enjoy having to I think I've got curry though, funnily enough. We're having carbonara. I'm so excited. Ooh, proper carbonara. Yeah, like, I'm going to go make it now. Mm. I'm so excited. Right, I'll leave it there. And thank you so much. Thank you. Speak to you in a bit.